I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Thomas Boff. I'm the editor of WolvesBlog.com, a website dedicated entirely to Wolverhampton Wonders Football Club. Uh, you can obviously find me at WolvesBlog.com or on uh, Twitter or X, as it's now known, um, at WolvesBlog. Hi, folks. Uh, my name is Steve McGookin. Thanks very much for having me back again, Kevin. I am a Spurs fan uh, currently based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. And uh, in a previous life, I was the chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Club. Awesome. An absolute pleasure to have both of you back on and a pleasure to be back. It was obviously been a few weeks with the holidays and everything like that, but glad to be back and talking Premier League with you two and glad that the folks at home will have something to listen to on their end. I figure we should start off with what basically overtook all of social media yesterday, which was basically, did you know that Kevin De Bruyne is particularly good at football? Um, Obviously just had about a 20 minute cameo yesterday for Manchester City, came on when they were losing 2-1 to Newcastle, ended up having a goal and an assist, making it a 3-2 win for Manchester City, moving them back up to second in the table. Um, and I was just curious from you guys, uh, what did you make of De Bruyne's performance? And do you think this is kind of the the uh, doom prophecy that everyone's kind of seeing it as, as the return of De Bruyne and Holland will just kind of settle this whole title race? Yeah, I think it's hard not to reach that conclusion. I really do. I mean, it's one performance um, from from Kevin De Bruyne, um, but it, it's it feels like maybe a sign of things to come. If they keep him fit, um, and, and obviously if they get Haaland back as well, then it, it just it makes it so difficult for everybody else. Um, because I think those two players in particular just make them miles and miles better than everyone everyone else. I was watching that Newcastle game yesterday. Um, and actually, Man City were doing what they do um, when they're at their least kind of effective, where there were lots of really good build-up play, opening up the spaces, fantastic. But just because they're not playing with like a conventional number nine, you just think, are they going to get through? Um, they, they really turned up the heat in the second half, um, obviously chasing the game at that point. And, and it just didn't look like they were going to get, they were going to be able to break Newcastle down because Newcastle was sitting deep by that point, not really offering much as an attacking force. And it's just, can you break that kind of low block down? Um, but but as soon as De Bruyne came on, it was it was a completely it just puts a completely different uh, complexion on the on the challenge because he just opens up passing angles that no one else does. Um, the the number of times where he just kind of got played into little pockets of space, particularly out wide, and most players are just looking to dig a cross out. He's just like finessing a ball into an incredibly dangerous area and asking questions of the the Newcastle defence all the time. 
Um, he, his goal was obviously really well taken. Maybe that probably felt a little bit soft from a Newcastle perspective because it, you know there wasn't a great deal of power on the shot. And but you know just how he even how he kind of threaded it through the defender's legs, it was just superb. You don't see other players making that kind of angle from that position. Um, and then and obviously the pass was sensational to win them the game. And there were two or three other moments where he, he's just just taking up a position and just threading passes and just making it look so easy. And um, it, it's not just his ability either. It's his mentality. He's just obviously a really mentally strong player. And I think that's probably ultimately what will elevate City over some of those rivals. You know, Arsenal have got fantastic players, but they're young players. And I'm not sure they've got that the mindset needed in the difficult moments. And I think we've probably seen that in, in recent weeks. They're finding the strain of it a little bit a little bit difficult. Um, whereas, you know, Kevin De Bruyne now and, and even Haaland to extent, the worry is for those other teams that those those players are gonna are gonna come back and and that they're gonna be refreshed. You know, that that is a real worry. And if you've got Kevin De Bruyne thinking, uh, you know, I've got an 18 game, 19 game season here uh, that I can attack with bigger, um, you know, and he, and he gets back to anything like what he's capable of because I still think he looks a bit raw. I mean, I saw him when he came on in the FA Cup. Uh, last week, and I thought, oh, it, it's probably going to take him, a, you know, a little while to shake off some of that rust because I don't think he's kind of what you call a natural athlete. Um, so I think you can kind of see the pudginess um, in him, but he, but his ability just just counteracts that. So he, and he's going to get sharper and better. So yeah, to answer your original question, superb from Kevin De Bruyne, probably the best 20-minute individual cameo that anyone's made this season. And uh, yes, I absolutely do think that, that if he stays fit. And, um, you know, Haaland to come back as well. Man City are just going to be better than everyone else. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I actually didn't see City's game yesterday, uh, even even the highlights on Match of the Day. But um, but I, I think it's, you know, most people who've watched them over the past few seasons know just how invaluable De Bruyne is to the way they play. Uh, I mean, even even with the growth of Phil Foden and and the, the contributions of of Grealish, um, you know, in in similar situations. So yeah, I mean, De Bruyne's return, uh, you know, gives them a huge boost for sure. Um, but but I think um, in terms of the edge on the title, I think I'll stick with what I said the last time you asked us uh, earlier in the season, Kev. I think I think the title will still most likely be between City and Liverpool. Possibly Arsenal, although the longer that the, the season goes on, uh, it is becoming more uh, entrenched that it'll be uh, one of those other two. Uh, and again, I think a big factor is, is going to be those teams' respective um, cup runs and, and European schedules and how that uh, affects their domestic uh, their domestic fixtures. So I, I think all told, I mean, yes, De Bruyne is a huge plus-plus for them. Uh, having, like every other team in the top, 10 really it's going to depend on uh the fitness of the the key players that they can get back so i think in a way city city were always um going to be in the top two i think i think that was always a given no matter who they put out but this this could give them the edge i think it's uh, again city and liverpool um are, are the two favorites and it's going to depend on their schedules i think towards the end of the season mm, yeah i think that makes a lot of sense um, now I wanted to uh, basically address the fact that we have passed the halfway point of the season uh, while we were on break, although there are still clubs that have still only played uh, 19 matches since 
or in the middle of this new kind of winter break. Um, but since we're at this air quotes halfway point, I just wanted to talk to you about about the clubs that you support, what you've made of the first halves thus far, any positive or negative surprises to date. Just kind of catch us up on what's been going on within your clubs. Yeah, well, it's been it's it's ended very well for Wolves. Obviously, there's a certain um, recency bias because we reeled off three three wins, consecutive wins over Christmas, uh, three very good wins against Chelsea, Brentford and Everton. <clears throat> and, um, and yeah, I mean, that, that's put, um, you know, a layer of gloss on our efforts. I think before that, um, the, 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 the feeling was, and I, w- I would guess it's the same from the outside looking in, that we've kind of um, exceeded expectations by not being right in that kind of relegation mix because we had that fire sale in the summer and then a kind of disastrous um, you know, pre-season where the manager left before the first game. So, um, you know, even to be, you know, up, up around sort of 15th, 16th uh, was fine and, and well clear of the bomb three. And then we got those three wins and we're kind of, we're looking up the table, you know, we, our next game's against Brighton. And if we get a good result there, we're going to move into the, the top half of the table. So um, I think you'd have to give it a kind of A++ rating um you know against expectations so it's um yeah it's it, it's it's been fantastic really probably i would say our grade is probably you know uh, as i say if you weight it against expectations we're probably the, one of the top performing uh, um teams in the league so there's a, there's definitely a good feeling around around the club and you know i think what they did in the summer was trimming a big squad down retained a lot of good talent still we've got a lot of assets um, which is important because in this with FFP as we, we've seen recently with even teams like Newcastle and um, other teams at the top struggling and having you know making acknowledging the fact that you need to sell good players to sort of trade well in the market. I think we've got a couple of 40, 50 million pound players in that team um, that may ultimately attract interest and allow us to to be agile in the market too. So I think you know the, the, there's a lot to to feel good about. Um, and, and you know the, the biggest surprise uh, of the season is is literally that just how how well we've done. I think if there's a there's a disappointment maybe um, it's probably that we you know the disappointment with the VAR decisions, which I know every club could say, but I feel we've probably had it worse than a, a number of clubs, and we probably should be a few points better off and already in those um, top half positions. Uh, but you know that that can happen to any team, so I think we kind of just have to take that on the chin. Um, but more. You know things within our own control. I was disappointed that we that we went out of the the League Cup in in the way we did because we threw away a, a two goal lead at Ipswich. Um, I know that seems like a kind of small thing, but you know if you if you're a mid table team, you're looking at the cup competitions as an avenue to to doing something special in a season. Um, and I, I did feel like the League Cup and the FA Cup, which we're still in at present. Um, offer offer good opportunities. So and and looking at how it kind of played out, and I know you can't say it would be the same, but you know Ipswich went on to lose to Fulham, and then obviously Fulham made it through, and you know they were playing Liverpool's effectively Liverpool's reserves or you know backup team, and that seemed like a good opportunity in a semi final as well. So you're thinking, oh, that could have been us if we if we you know done a bit better in the cup. So so yeah, so I think that maybe that in the League Cup, but there, there's still a chance to. To remedy that in the, in the FA Cup and potentially do something there, but um, but overall, I, I certainly can't complain about the the first half of the season. Yeah, exactly the same. Um, I, I heard a, a couple of weird stats today that I haven't been able to verify yet. I have to go and look them up, but it's 
apparently it's been five years since we won a game without either Kane or Son in the lineup. Uh, also, we've now scored in 32 consecutive top flight games, something that we last did apparently in 1962 when we were defending champions. So, I, you know, at, at this halfway point, roughly halfway point of the season, and also with the, the Asian and AFCON tournaments going on and, and with the various injuries that we've we've racked up over the previous weeks. I mean, Vicario is now our only ever-present player this season. So clearly, you know, there there have been a bunch of challenges that are beyond the control of the manager or the or the, the team uh that have affected, you know, the performance this season. But I totally and I totally echo I think what, what Thomas said there about exiting the League Cup. I, I but I, I'm hopeful that I think Ange has learned something from uh from that experience. But we're definitely we're definitely, Kevin, I think in a in a very positive transition period. I mean our squad and and manager will be encouraged by the way we're playing. We're not giving up, even when you know things are just turning to crap. Or sorry, excuse me, all around us. And I'm absolutely convinced that there's there's even better to come, and relatively soon for the squad. I'm also uh, really happy about the average age of the squad and the way in which the um, the, the the collective identity uh, of the team is is evolving and how they how they fight and play for each other. I uh, couldn't be happier about about the, uh, the 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 mood in the camp, the feeling in, w- w- within the squad. But when you think about it, also, you know, when you ask, are you are you happy as a Spurs fan? Of course, you're happy at the way we're playing. You know, <laughs> given the the past few seasons, no matter where we finish this this year, I think we're we're entitled to feel to feel proud about what the team has accomplished this year. We're far better than the past few seasons, and. Um, it, it's it's a no-brainer to say, and, and uh, you know, you go back to when Ange was asked the other day about, well, are, are Spurs in the title race? Well, you know, technically, technically we are, but um, <laughs> I, I remember there, there was uh, one time a few weeks ago you asked me, well, we we couldn't, could we? No, I I don't think we can. I don't think we can, but. You know, it's it's great even in, in this first season where you're molding the squad together the way we are and and still building it, still building it, um, that we're as optimistic as we are as Spurs fans that uh, that we're actually going to have something entertaining to watch every time we go to the park. So yeah, no, I I'm, I couldn't be couldn't be happier about uh, about the impact this season uh and it when it when you think back when Ange arrived you know some of the flack that he was getting you know it's oh it's the a rerun of Martin Yall you know he overcame a lot of that and the way he has inspired the squad to believe in the system and to believe in the way that we play now especially in the wake of selling our most expensive player or or our, our best our best player um is is just has been remarkable and i i couldn't be happier or is, is that too uh too enthusiastic <laughs> no i i think it's i think it's pretty appropriate obviously there have been some uh struggles in the past few years um but yeah things certainly seem to be turning a corner both in terms of player recruitment management recruitment uh, i think i said on twitter earlier this week 
um, that the best thing that could have happened to Spurs was uh, Paratici being banned from football exactly when we were looking to hire a new manager because the players he's recommended have been incredible. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. the Nunos and the Stellinis, maybe a little bit less. Um, and then uh, going back to your point, Thomas, about how hard done by um, Wolves have been. Yeah, only Liverpool have had more uh, decisions go against them. So not too lucky for Wolves thus far, but obviously a pretty nice start to the season as well. And uh, I, I don't recall if you said it before we hit record or during the show, but yeah, you probably should should be in the top half if those had gone your way. Um, we'll kind of continue this thinking about the midway point to kind of catch up on uh, where we're at in the, the league these days and how we're feeling about some of the teams. Uh, so we'll look at where we think some of these clubs will likely finish come the end of the year. We were obviously just talking about Manchester City, and it seems like both of you think they're probably going to win the Premier League. But now that everyone's played each other at least once, is that kind of where we're where we're thinking the title will end up going? Yeah, for me, yeah. I think it's uh, Man City or Liverpool. Um, I think I'd, I'd just lean more towards... Man City, because I just think they're a bit more complete than Liverpool. I mean, Liverpool look quite formidable at the moment. I certainly wouldn't rule them out. They've just got so much firepower. Um, They're such a dynamic team. I feel like they're really starting to look like that Jurgen Klopp powerhouse team again. Um, So I I certainly wouldn't rule Liverpool out, but I can't see past them or Man City. And I just think like Man City, it's only only injuries that'll, that'll stop Man City for my money. Um, because I just, like I say, I just think they've got the mentality, they've got the experience in all those competitions at the business end of them to do to do very well. So, um, so yeah, Man City are my tip. Um, you know, probably narrowly forcing Liverpool out. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think that the title will um, will still uh, be between City and Liverpool. Um, I don't know if um, having uh, De Bruyne back in itself is going to be um, the the tipping point for them. But certainly, I I think it was always going to be between those two. It it was a matter of how how long Arsenal could stay with them. Uh, And I think we've we've sort of seen that that there is a gap uh, emerging between those two and, and Arsenal. All right, yeah, now we'll talk about the Champions League spots. Obviously, it could be four or five. We still don't know. If the season ended today, I'm pretty sure Germany would be ahead of England, and England would just have the four spots, um, but still a lot of football to play. But obviously, Newcastle and Manchester United uh, doing the coefficient table, no particular favors there. But obviously, we're all saying City and Liverpool are going to be two of them. So uh, who do you think might fill the other two and or three spots there? Uh, yeah, I, th- I mean, <clears throat> I think the top four will be Man- Manchester City, Liverpool, Arsenal and Tottenham. Those are the, the four sides, I, I would say. Um, I mean, the, the only other team outside of those four who I think have a chance of making it are Aston Villa. But I, I just suspect um, that they might fall off a little bit at the end. And given all the injuries that Tottenham have had and the players they've still got to come back, um, I'm just anti, and they're, and they're still right there, aren't they? Of course. So I just, and the, combined with the style of play, it just seems to be working quite nicely. So I think over the over the run of the next 19, I would just probably expect Tottenham to just move past Aston Villa. That that would be the only one. And then I don't, I think Arsenal are very, they're consistent in their performance. Um, I just think what we've seen lately is, is um, you know, they're they've just. They're very controlled. I think they're the closest to Man City in terms of the style of play and the control they kind of have on games. 
Um, and they've got a lot of really, really good players. But I just I just think they're just lacking a little something. Um, I think it's experience and know-how. And I think a lot of teams have just worked out that if you if you just force them out wide to Saka and and the other on the other side Martinelli and you just kind of isolate those players and make it tough for them, then it, they're finding it hard to break teams down. Um, so I think that's that's caught up with them. I don't I don't like simplifying it to they've been figured out, but it, it is that a little bit. I think their style of play it has become a bit more predictable than perhaps it was, and, and teams are coping with them better. So I think there's a challenge there for Mikel Arteta um, to, to try and solve that, and whether they do that through recruitment or you know just just changing things up a little bit, um, I don't know. But um, but I still think they'll make the top four. So yeah, so I think um, Arsenal and Tottenham to join. Liverpool and Man City with with Aston Villa just being a bit unfortunate in fifth, which may ultimately still get them where they want to be. Well, uh, here here's hoping, Thomas, and uh, thank you for that vote of confidence. <laughs> I do I do think that um, as I said earlier in the season when when you asked Kev, I think that that fourth spot and and possibly the fifth if it if it comes about. Uh, was going to be between uh, Villa, us, hopefully, and uh, and Newcastle, although they they have gone off the boil a bit recently, and I do think actually that Chelsea um, have a chance of sneaking into that group if they if they pull themselves together um, over over the next few years, and and uh, then the, um, the the places underneath I think should be should be there for for West Ham and, and Brighton. Uh, and uh, you know I'm I'm still unconvinced by Man United, and uh, as I said earlier, especially even more so after after seeing them today. Yeah, I think that's all fair. Then obviously there will be some overlap here, but which teams do you think will get the European spots, both for the Europa League and the Conference League? Um, yeah, below them in the table. I mean, so who have I ruled out? Well, Newcastle, I would expect to improve. Um, I think if if Newcastle are got all their players fit and they're playing to the level that they're capable of. They would without doubt be in that top four conversation, but I think they're like nine or 10 points off at present. Um, and their immediate prospects don't look, look brilliant, but I would certainly expect them to be, um, you know, pushing that kind of sixth, seventh area as, as a minimum by the end of the season. Um, yeah. Who else really? I don't know. I mean, you've got, you've got Brighton, Chelsea, Man United. It's uh yeah, I mean, there's not a there's not a lot to choose between those teams. Like I said, I think Newcastle are the best team of all of the rest of the teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd probably be inclined to to say Newcastle for for sixth, and then um, I think after that, my instinct would take me towards. I think Man United will do it. I think Man United will probably get seventh, um, just because um, I think they're are they in seventh now? I think they're in seventh after today's game, and. Um, you know, when you're factoring in how bad they've been, um, I think there's significant scope for improvement. I think they've got players to come back in. I think they'll have a patch in the season where where they're a bit better. Um, so I, I, I would probably just give them the edge for for seventh. And um, yeah, I think Brighton just look a little bit like they might get weighed down by the the European and the weight of fixtures and the comings and goings there. Um, and um, you know, West Ham are consistent, very, very good team. I mean, they could definitely, they could definitely count themselves in that race as well. Um, but I don't know. I just think Man United still have the the quality for me, and I just, I just think that they'll get it together for a run of games, and that will probably be enough just to push them over the top. So that that would probably be where I would be leaning. 
Yeah, it's very possible. But I, I, I think of what I've seen recently of both Man United and Chelsea. I think if I had to pick one of them to put a string of ga- a string of wins together to actually climb up the table significantly, I would I would probably go with Chelsea for now. Um, so yeah, it's uh, as I say, we've mentioned Villa, we've mentioned us, mentioned Newcastle, uh, Chelsea, Man U. Um, it, I think it's going to be a tough. Uh, ask I think for Brighton and West Ham to to rise above the the Europa League um, options, but um, but and and again I think we talked about it earlier. Uh, a lot is going to hang on the fixture congestion and uh, and the sort of schedules that they have in the in the run in to the uh, to the end of the season. But I I think of of the teams that we've mentioned uh, just there, I, I, everything I think all the all the spoils are there to be divided up between them. Gotcha, gotcha. And we'll wrap up with uh, the relegation candidates. Obviously, um, there was a period there where Everton sank after their uh, FFP uh, punishment came through, but currently outside of that area. So currently in the relegation spots are, as some people anticipated, all three of the promoted sides. Do you think that'll still be the case? Yeah, that's that remains where my, what my instinct is telling me. Um Luton, Burnley, Sheffield United. Yeah, I mean, Sheffield United look gone to me. Um, Burnley, I just don't see it. I just think they're too papery. Luton, Luton kind of have a bit more backbone with them. And, they've, you know, they've got players like Townsend and Barkley who are turning the clock back a little bit um, and, and show, bringing them some Premier League quality. Uh, they have a chance of staying up. But I just still think, you know, if you're talking a two-horse race between Luton and Everton, I just still think it's going to be Everton. Um and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just don't see who else. I mean, you got—I don't think it'd be Palace. So you, you Brentford and Forest, possibly, maybe. I think I think both of those. I think Brentford. I think Brentford, if they didn't get some of the players back that they, that have been out, they, they'd be me. in trouble. But um, but yeah, I mean, I um, I, but because I think they're quite an ordinary team with without. But they've got so many players to come back. Um, Burmo, Visa. Tony. Um, Tony, yeah, Tony, obviously, and, and you know midfielders as well. Um, I think they'll they'll probably do it, but you know they they could well get dragged into it and have to battle their way out. You know, and they're only one result away from being caught by um, by Luton. But one thing I would say is that in in that kind of Christmas period, there was a lot of interactivity between Luton, Burnley, and Sheffield United, where they were playing each other in that period, and I think that allowed for points accumulation. And I think Luton came out. On top, because I think they beat Sheffield United in a game they could have easily, easily lost that game, and then they got that controversial point at, at Burnley. Um, you know, Burnley. So you know, I, I think it's kind of giving a bit of a false dawn that those those teams are going to suddenly do better, even though they're really just a lot of it has been playing each other. I know they've had some good individual results, but I just I can't see past the bottom three as it is. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think with, with with each week's fixtures that go by, it's it's getting harder to look past um, past the current bottom three and 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 see who they could easily outstrip. Um, Everton obviously are, are are a special case because of the the situation around the points deduction and and whether or not that process is actually finished. Um, but I I still think they're a better team than the current bottom three. Uh, and I suppose if you if you look at teams uh, like Forest or Palace, you mentioned them there, Thomas. But you know, looking at their goal difference, which I think is the biggest indicator, 
uh, of whether or not a team is actually in trouble. I mean, maybe they would they would be looking over their shoulder if they were to go on a three or four game slide, I guess. But um, but I say it, it, it's it's really tricky, I think, for that for that bottom three, not not just to sort of climb out by one or two points, but to actually overtake a team above them and and stay in front of them. So I, I agree. I think I think we're looking at the um, at the three at the three teams to go down. Gotcha. Yeah, no real, no real disagreements from me. And yeah, I think Everton are probably too good, as you guys are kind of saying. Tony coming back from Brentford, I think, is just a game changer for them. I am really curious about how the Nuno experiment works at Nottingham Forest, obviously post Steve Cooper, because that squad was very interestingly assembled. Um, but yeah, and I don't really think anyone above that is really going to run into issues. Um, maybe Palace. But yeah, I, I don't really see that as well. I think they also have their own players to come back. And once Elise and Eze are all firing and stuff like that again, I think they'll be just fine. Um, cool. Uh, that's where we'll wrap up the first half of the show. Now we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, and we are back. Uh, Thomas, we'll start off with you. Uh, just a bit of a news story that had involved Wolves this past week was all this FFP talk with some saying that you could be the next to kind of face sanctions, uh, which was a little confusing to me as a, uh, someone looking uh, from the outside in as I felt like that was the reason why you've run so lean the past few years, why you've sold some of your bigger name players. Uh, from your perception, do you think that FFP is still a concern for Wolves or do you think you've kind of already handled it? Well, the messaging coming out of the club is that it's kind of in the rear view mirror. Um, the, the sporting director, Matt Hobbs, and I've got the, got the article in front of me. Um, he said, uh, we dealt with the most pressing profit as a sustainability issues during the summer in a positive and proactive way. So while Gary, Gary O'Neill knows we'll support him if we can, we're also not going to put ourselves in any danger whatsoever. So I think the message out of the club seems to be that we kind of had a close shave um, in the summer, but they did the work that was necessary um, to comply, and and they feel that that's that's something that they just they want to they want to be more self-sustainable, and they want not that not to happen again. So I would be surprised um, if if it came out that we were actually in, in trouble and, and facing the kind of potential sanctions that um, you know that Everton have been facing. So I I don't think that will be the case, but unfortunately. Um, as, a, as a fan, I, I can only deal with the information that's uh, that's given by the club and, and trust that they've they've taken it in hand. So um, so yeah. So hopefully it's just kind of rumbling 
um, in the news stories. I, th I think Wolves are due to release some accounts that are due to show um, a big loss uh, for the year. And I think that's kind of what some of the news stories were pointing at. Um, but, but obviously, the, the accounts alone don't um, don't account for the profit and sustainability issues. You know, I know it can be dis distilled down, but it, it crosses over different time periods, and then you have amortisation of contracts and all those complex matters. But I think it seems from from what the club are saying that they don't feel it's an issue. Gotcha. Very. That that seems like it'll be good news for you. But as you say, we'll kind of all find out together when everything becomes official. If there are clubs that that FFP will be looking to punish. Um, in other, in theory, very good news, you uh, are only one goal away from having scored as many goals this season as last season. Um, what has kind of changed in the attack? Although I do think we've talked about that already a little bit this season. Um, but yeah, do, do you read into that more as this season being particularly good or just last season being so abysmal when you obviously finished last in goals in the Premier League? Yeah, I mean, as I said to you off air, you know, it, it's more an indictment of how bad it was last season and the season before that. Um, it just it was it wasn't working. Um, we we weren't creating enough chances, um, and the chances we did create, we had no one in there who was who was taking them. It was just the, the attack was never cohesive, and it never felt like we really knew what we wanted to do in open play. Um, we we had the hangover from the Nuno era. Um, we still had the midfield from the Nuno era, really. You know, we had that Neves and Matinho axis at the start of last season. And we we're still expecting, even though we didn't want to necessarily sit back and defend um, and then counter-attack, which was obviously what we did so well in the Nuno years, uh, we still had the dregs of that team hanging around. Um, so it did it did need the kind of revolution that we saw in the summer. And what what's happened is... And where the club have done very well is they've sold a lot of players who, on the on the face of it, look like key players. But but actually, I think most of them, if not all of them, had reached their sell-by date at Wolves. And that's not to say they couldn't go on and, and do great things for other teams. But it just felt like the the time was right for them to leave leave the club. So so they've they've kind of they've reinvented the team. Um, and and as as well as there's two factors that I would probably point to, um, uh, you know, reasons why this team has been successful. The first is that the, the attacking players of Neto, Cunha and Wang have all been sensational. And at the start of the season, particularly when we had those three firing in tandem, you know, that, that front three is probably as good as anyone, certainly as good as anyone's in the bottom half mid-table area of the team. You know, I think all three of those players, you could, you could lift them out and put them in a, in a top six team and they wouldn't look out of place, you know, I think. So we're obviously lucky to have those, those players still at the club. Um, and also the midfield, you know, we, like I say, we had Neves and Matinho, who were good technicians, good deep-lying, holding midfielders. Um, but that's not necessarily conducive to kind of attack-minded, proactive football. Um, and having Mario Lamina and João Gomez in there, they're kind of two bulldogs who they get around the pitch. They make a lot of tackles. They recover the ball high up, which then releases those those you know incisive, fast attacking players to get at teams faster in dangerous areas of the pitch. So so I think that's that's why, you know, it's a style of play. And then on top of that, you've obviously got the the influence of Gary O'Neill. He's he's obviously doing something something right and he's he's getting his ideas and his strategy across to the players, perhaps better than than Lopetegui and uh, Bruno Large did last season. And um you know, we're seeing the we're seeing the benefits of that. So um I don't think it's just statistics as well. I think it, you know uh, I mean, you, you. I don't know how much you guys have seen of Wolves, but I just think as uh, on the eye, we just look a better, more fluid, um, proactive team now.
you know, and I think that that's the, the stats marry to what we're seeing on the pitch. If anything, we probably should have had more goals, really. Um, so, um, yeah, lots to lots to feel good about. And hopefully we can improve the run rate even more over the uh, second half of the season. Yeah, well, certainly good luck with all of that, uh, except against us, please. Um, <laughs> Steve, we'll come to you now to talk about Tottenham. Uh, and I just wanted to start with, obviously, a, a pretty high-profile match today. And was just curious your your thoughts on the match itself and your takeaways about where kind of Tottenham and Manchester United are right now. Um, that, that game between us and them today was almost like both teams, uh, both teams' seasons in microcosm, you know. I, I really would like us as as fans to get to a point where we don't say at the start of a game that we that we that we'd take a point. You know, I, I think we're in the situation where <clears throat> on our day we're, we're we're capable of beating anybody and uh, and we're we're getting better each time we play with a settled team. Um so yeah, it's uh, somebody put it very well today uh when they said that if you look at the two teams, the two lineups today, Spurs and Man U, you know, Spurs are Spurs are better than the sum of their parts and um and and United are not. United just don't use their cohesion to rise above that. So I, th- I think that's pretty fair. Um, I, I, you know, that, I, that would have been, it would have been a good entertaining game today if you weren't a supporter of either team. I think uh, first half we didn't, we didn't start until 10 minutes in and then United did the same in the second half. And at that stage, I think neither, neither team was really that much better than the other. Uh, it was a very scrappy back and forth. Um, uh, both teams were wasteful, you know, we, we were unlucky, uh, unluckier, I think, in front of goal. Uh, although in the second half, we, we definitely should have created more, more chances. But, you know, um, one, one thing, interestingly, coming back to, you know, Romero and, and uh, Van de Ven back together in that back four also illustrates just how important uh, Paro and Udogi are for us. Both of them, I think, had fantastic games today. Uh, but I, I think Bentoncourt was was our man of the match. And uh, apart from that that pretty stupid yellow card he got for kicking the ball away. But, um, you know, he, he really is the engine that makes us tick in the midfield. Uh, wonderful player. Mm. So... Uh, uh, I think we're really we're really starting to click. I think, and we're we're playing some great football, and the fans are responding to it. Um, I watched I watched the first half with my dad, who's a United fan, and, and as you know, and and for him, of course, whoever the United manager might be is is it's a, it's a mere shadow of what the team was under Ferguson. Um, and then I I walked home. All he did was complain for the first half hour. Or the first half, and then I, I walked home and listened to the last twenty minutes in the radio. So I actually missed our equalizer. But here's one interesting thing, Kevin, and I'm sure you picked up on this as well. What I heard at the end of the game was the silence from the United fans. You know, they they weren't happy, but they weren't sure how to express it. Almost, whereas you could hear the Spurs fans constantly through the game. I thought they were fantastic. So uh, that, that's this is a, a very long-winded way of sort of saying that um, that's why I don't think United will be in the mix for the Champions League spots come the end of the season, or maybe even the European spots. They're they're a mid-table team at the moment, uh, and they're definitely a work in progress. You know, both uh, on and off the field. You know, with R- Radcliffe and, and Brailsford, you know, they're they're eager to get in and make an impression. 
so that dynamic with between them and Ten Hag is going to be really interesting. And, uh, and it occurred to me that maybe what they need is a is an Islands in the Stream sing-along like uh, we get at the Spurs Stadium. <laughs> yeah, obviously agree with all of that. Do think Tottenham probably, air quotes, deserve to win today, you know, as much as football ever works that way. Um, but ultimately, if you ask me at the start of the season, would I be comfortable or happy with four points off of United this year? I'd still say yes. And then the context of missing arguably five starting players today and still seeming to be the better team, still getting the draw, still arguably would have been the team more likely to win. I think all of those are things that you can't do anything but come away feeling pleased about, uh, even though there are two fewer points than maybe ideally we could have had. Uh, so yeah, um, speaking of those five absent players, for people that aren't aware, uh, Kulisevsky out with illness, Sun away uh, with Korea, uh, then obviously Basuma and Saar both away at the African Cup of Nations, and Madison currently out injured. Um, we've had all of these injuries, all of these absences. Obviously, Von de Ven missed, I think it ended up being about six weeks. Romero was supposed to miss three to four weeks, but suddenly popped up back today. But now that it seems like we're at least starting to get out of this injury crisis, still in touching distance of the title, I won't ask you again if we could, because you already addressed that earlier, um, just five points back from, from first place as we speak. But uh, what, what do you take away from the fact that we were able to at least kind of keep pace despite constantly missing at least three regular starters from the team? Absolutely. And I think the important thing there is the cohesion within the squad and the, the, the collective understanding of what the system's going to be and how we're going to play. I think you can't underestimate how important it is to have Van de Ven and Romero back in the middle of that, uh, of the middle of that defense. Uh, although I think today there was a little, a little incident towards the end when he, he uh, when, when he came off, he had cramp. And I think that was a little worrying. Um, but, you know, also don't forget it's, it's been nearly three months since he and Romero started a game together. And as you say, Kev, it's like you, in order to stay in touch with the leaders, if not, you know, actually compete with them, which I, I think we're we're not in that position just yet. A, you've got to be able to, you know, survive and, and get points where when you don't play well. And thankfully, there haven't been too many games this season, even the games we've lost where we, we haven't played well. Um, and. And the other thing is to, to be able to fill the holes in your squad, and and obviously we have had more holes than we uh, than we were expecting. I think uh, this year. So uh, yeah, it's 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 actually um, it, it's kind of important that um, we understand collectively how to actually organize the team around uh, certain players, um, but also in the collective sense, in the sense that, you know, we give them something to something to play for. I think on, on reflection also on, on today's game um, was that I think we missed Madison more than we missed Son or, yeah. or Kulisevsky even. I think Madison is more than those other players has the, can unlock uh, an opposing team, regardless of who they are. Um, and as, as I was saying earlier, I think we, we now have the confidence within the squad that we can actually go and get a win or, or at least provide a, a good performance and, and be competitive, uh, no matter who we're, who we're up against. But I think Madison is, I think, the key going forward to, um, to how creative we are as a team. And I don't think Lo Celso 
fulfills that same role, although it's actually a good option to have. So, yeah, I, I, it's it's a matter of making sure that um, whatever personalities you put in the in the positions uh, that they they have a collective understanding of of what it is we need to do. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, and yeah, I, I do think it's really promising for both Ange as a manager, the squad building that we've done, um, the the players themselves, just how well we've been able to handle pretty pretty dire adversity um, with the amount of injuries and, and suspensions and everything we've been facing. Um, next, we'll head on to Player Watch, where I just wanted to ask you what you've made of your club's January business thus far. Uh, well, Wolves, all Wolves January business so far has been outgoing, I believe. Uh, Fabio Silva has gone on loan to Rangers and Sasakalajic has gone on loan to Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, so two number nines have gone out the door. Uh, and I think that means that we're we're all kind of expecting that a, a forward player is going to arrive before the before the month is out. Um, there's a there's a bit of bit of surprise that we've allowed the, both of those players to leave, particularly with Wang out at the um, the Asian Cup. Um, we're quite light in options in those forward areas, and it's and it is an area of the pitch that Gary O'Neill has specifically referenced that needs strengthening. I think he said he wanted a winger, uh, someone in the kind of Pedro Neto mold. Um, and and as and a proper forward, um, so those that's the area where I'm expecting us to do business by the end of January. And if we don't do that, I'll be a little bit concerned heading into the second half of the season whether that decision to to allow those other two players to go out without bringing anyone in might come back and bite us. So um, so yeah, so we'll we'll hang tight and see. Um, but so far, it's kind of. Um, yeah, we're, we're, with only outgoings, it's quite hard to uh, to judge the business. But I don't think anyone's too disappointed that those particular players have, have gone out because they just weren't being used by the manager. So therefore, you know, they might as well go out. Yeah, I was uh, very happy with uh, the Spurs' two headline signings. Um, uh, you know, we knew the, what the needs were and we addressed them. Uh, uh, and I'm actually, I'm glad they both got onto the pitch today um, for you know different uh, periods of time, obviously, very satisfied with with Werner's uh, debut in in its context. I mean, it, it, I suppose it wasn't really anything that we weren't expecting, um, but getting him, going out and getting him was was actually a no brainer given uh, given his Premier Premier League experience and uh, and goal scoring ability. So I think today was. Today wasn't a bad test at all, considering um, you know it's be, it's been something like 20 months since he played in the Premier League, and I think I think he actually last started a game for Leipzig in October. So um, yeah, no, very very happy. The, the one thing though I, w- I would mention though uh, on on the strength of today's game is that if we're intending to use Werner as a uh, as a replacement for Son on that left hand side then we need to find a way to work the ball out to him on the ground rather than try to find him with crosses. Uh, and, I, and I think the, the, um, the, the players realized that as, as the game went on. Uh, as, as for um, Dragusin, or as the BBC pronounced him today to rhyme with Martin Sheen, Dragusin, uh, I think like a lot of other Spurs fans, I hadn't, I hadn't, seen him uh until the youtube clips started to started to appear at the time of the the rumors but um obviously we we didn't see enough of him today but i'm i'm very encouraged as as you said at the top of the show i think kevin especially with the juventus connection and the fact that he's familiar with some of the players there 
that we got from uh, from Juventus via uh, Fabio Paratici. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, I, generally um, generally very exciting, I think, uh, and helpful in uh, squad building. There is one one thing, and it, it's weird, and I don't think it'll come to anything. It's probably agent talk, but this Connor Gallagher uh, story uh, yeah. refuses to die, really, and I I can't for the life of me see. Um, how it makes any sense because uh, either we're going to let uh, Lachelso go to Barca at some point um, and and replace Lachelso with Gallagher, but but you would have to assume that you know anytime Madison's fit, he's your first choice in that in that role. So it, it, it's a difficult one. I, I I actually rate Gallagher. I think he's a good player, and I think he did really well when he was at Palace as well on loan. Um, so it wouldn't I wouldn't be distraught if we signed him. Uh, but I think it has uh, knock-on effects that with it where I, I can't really see the I can't really see the logic behind it. Yeah, I agree. I think the thinking is that like how Bentancur can cover two midfield positions that in theory he could be either your air mm-hmm. quotes eight or ten. But we have so much overlap there. The only reason we're short of midfielders, as we saw in today's match, is because two of yeah. them are at the same international <laughs> tournament. Um, right. which is an ideal and then Kulisevsky and Lasalso are sick and injured respectively so the the odds that you'd ever be at a point like today are pretty low so I agree I, 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 and if you have 40 to 50 million to spend do you spend it on yet another mm. midfielder I don't know it's it's hard to say I think ultimately this the decision is what's happening with Hoybier because yeah. then maybe you have more of a midfield spot to play with but Ultimately, I suppose time will tell. But yeah, I agree. I, I, I like what we've done thus far. Also, um, the signing of Werner in the first week of January is the fastest Tottenham have signed a player sure. since yeah. Bungani Kamalo. Um, I forget <laughs> who I saw say that on, on Twitter and or X, whatever you call it these days. But that's a fun fact for you. And sorry to the person that said it for not being able to credit you. Um, I think it's actually Kamalo himself who said <laughs> Hey, remember me? I was signed earlier than Timo Werner in January. Uh, yeah, could have been. Um, we'll wrap up today, though, with a little bit of match previews, uh, where we'll start off with you, Thomas. Obviously, as you're, you're going to have a cup tie here pretty early in the week against the very same Brentford team that we talked about earlier. Yeah, I mean, um, I thought I think I saw a funny thing that was like if this game had been played on Wednesday, Ivan Tony would be allowed to play, but because it was the Tuesday, it's he's still banned. Oh, wow. so it's quite a bit of a uh, bit of a quirk there in the, uh, in the in the fixture planning. But um, yeah, I mean, with, with the players they've got out and um, you know home advantage, having earned that replay, having played most of the first game with ten men, having Joe Gomez been sent off early in the game. Uh, I'd, I'd expect us, and I don't know if you were paying attention to the draw, but if we win this match, we've, we've got a game against West Bromwich Albion, which is our big local derby. So there's a lot riding on the game um, after that that draw was made for the for the fourth round. So our fans are dead keen to uh, to get through in this now, not just to progress in the FA Cup, but get that derby match against West Brom, and uh, you know that will add a little bit of spice to the to the season. So yeah, I. I th- I think we'll probably win. I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a tight game. Uh, but because we're at home, and I think Brentford needs um, another game like a hole in the head right now uh, with with the things they've got. I think they 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 wouldn't be too displeased about exiting the competition. Um, so uh, I I think I think we'll probably edge it. Maybe maybe one nil or two one. 
Sure, well, certainly good luck in that one. And then Steve, uh, obviously, we're going to be hosting Manchester City. A bunch of very fun stats about that. Uh, so we'll obviously get to how you feel about how these two teams will match up. But first, who do you think was more disappointed to draw the other team, Tottenham drawing City or City drawing Tottenham? Oh, very good. I Actually, I, I'm sure City were probably more disappointed with, with that draw than we were, especially the fact that it's a way for them. Um, but, you know, we we have a relatively good uh, record against them no matter where we play. So, I, I as I say, I, I'm very optimistic, very upbeat about uh, going into that game. I think the key thing is going to be for us that if you believe the injury reports that, that Madison will hopefully be back for that one. Uh, whether he's 100%, we don't know, but um, certainly that's the that's the intention. Uh, and you know, since we we've been singing his praises the the, the, the all night, um, the, the, at least we have him back on the pitch. Uh, and fingers crossed again. Uh, you know, Van de Ven should be, I hope, back to full fitness. Um, uh, it was good to see him back today. But yeah, as I say, I'm I'm very upbeat about this game, and I do think if we if we get past this one. You know, hopefully we can we can build a decent cup run this year that that re- reflects somehow the the excitement around the team because I think it's really important the fans the fans really deserve something to shout about and I I know we're all enjoying the quality of the football and the commitment and the cohesion and all of that stuff that you know we're 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 playing really well but actually winning something I do feel is getting closer it's getting closer with with every group of games that we play. So being able to, since we're not in Europe, being able to extend a cup run uh, into the semifinals or whatever and, and just see how far we can take it, I think is is absolutely what the team needs uh, right now. And the fans, of course. Yeah, I agree. I think that's why it was, yeah, kind of as you're saying, disappointing on the Spurs side is if... And could solidify what has already been a terrific first season by being someone that could at least get a deep cup run, if not a trophy in his first year. I think that would just lend so much kind of like credence to the project. Obviously, we're used to not winning stuff, but it'd be really <laughs> nice um, if Andrew was able to do that early on in his tenure. Uh, cool. We will wrap things up there. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they can reach you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, great to talk again, everyone. Um, yeah, you can you can get me on wolfblog.com. There'll be um, the obviously for Brentford fans a report from the uh, Brentford Cup tie next week, and then some preview and match report action going on for the Brighton game, which is the game after that. And then I think we've got Man United after that. So um, yeah, if you support any of those teams as well as Wolves, obviously it's worth checking out the site, reading some of the comments. People have normally got some interesting stuff to say on there. Um, but uh, but otherwise, yeah, thanks for having me on and uh, hopefully come on again soon. Yep, thank you very much, Kevin. I really enjoyed uh, our conversation uh, and thank you, Thomas, for, for a good chat. Uh, my name's Steve McGookin and you can reach me at Steve McGookin on Twitter. Uh, in another life, uh, my non-football writing, you can find at statesofplayproject.com. And uh, just before I sign off, I, I really wanted to say um, uh, thank you to Franz Beckenbar for being one of the most incredible players I witnessed as a young as a young kid, and uh, really gave me an understanding of um, that there's more to there's more to football than than really just um, flair, if you know what I mean. I mean, he was reliable, he was secure, he was 
the sort of player that you would include in your starting 11 right from the off if he's available. So it was a joy to, to grow up watching players like that at the various World Cups. So thank you. Yep, thanks to both of you for coming on as well. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter or X at Kevroff. And as always, you can email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. But yeah, huge thanks again, Thomas and Steve, for joining me today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Thank you.